This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. church. Good morning. If you need a Bible, we're in 1 Peter chapter 3 today. Go ahead and raise your hand so we can get you a Bible. You can follow along with us. We're continuing our study through the book of 1 Peter. The title of the whole book is Glorious Expectations. Not just good, not just great, but we should have glorious expectations in God because He is glorious. So as you're turning there, 1 Peter chapter 3, I would like to pray for us as well and the word that the Lord has for us this morning. Father God, we thank you again that we can come As Grace said, here, gather together in your name. We can sanctify this time. We can make it special. We can set it apart to come, hear your word, to seek you, and and to be expectant to hear from you, Lord. Give us ears to hear, fertile hearts to receive the seed of your word, that we would produce fruit on your behalf. We thank you, Father, for that simple, precious time of worship. And that the time that we spent singing those songs wouldn't just be about melody or words, but it would truly reflect our heart towards you right now in worship. We also pray, Father, that this time in your word, the application of your word, would be worshipful toward you, that we want your will to be done in all things. And thank you, Father, for giving us the capacity to give our tithes and offerings to you. We pray that you'd bless those tithes and offerings, that you would be glorified and that we would do it, Lord. Our intention would be worshipful in in the giving that we do towards you. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What to expect when you're expecting? Are you expecting? Well, that's a rude question. But no, seriously, what are you expecting? Because no matter what you say, you will always be in a place of expecting something in the future. Today, maybe later, good food. (laughs) Tomorrow, Monday, a good Monday, not bad. Hopefully, that's what we're expecting. There's a saying that goes, expectations are premeditated resentments. Is that true? I walked into a public restroom last week to wash my hands, something that I like to practice regularly when I'm in public because people are filthy. (laughs) Not me, them, and then that's, therefore, I must wash my hands. So I walked into the bathroom, and I walked up to the soap dispenser at the sink, and I put my hand under it, and nothing happened, and I was waving, you know, like, okay, what's, what's the trick here, you know, because everything's motion detected now. And, and then I realized, like a dummy, that it was a push button one. So I pushed the button, got the soap, and I started thinking to myself, why would we even go in that direction for motion sensor soap washing? I'm going to wash my hands. So whatever I touch before I wash my hands, I don't care. Just give me the soap. Be that as it may, I was very disappointed. 
because I expected something that wasn't the reality. Maybe that's not a big deal for you, but for me, it was. We should be prepared for our expectations in God. Do you hear what I said? We should be prepared in our expectations towards God. Willing, hopeful to receive good things because God is good. But how? It's not about thinking or hoping something into existence like magical thinking, like you're just, you're just thinking that things are going to be good for you. But there's a preparation, a trust in God for those things. I think of it like this. I love my morning coffee. The bean juice, as it were, right? Can I get a witness? Testify. The coffee is good. But I don't lay in bed thinking a cup of coffee into existence on my countertop, do I? Man, I hope there's coffee out there when I go. I hope it's there waiting, piping hot, ready for me. No, what do I do? The preparation for my expectation. By the way, this is a side note, and it's free this morning. I have terrible allergies. I could hardly breathe this morning because trees hate my face. And after I had my first cup of coffee, I feel so much better. So I think that coffee cures allergies. I'll, let, I'll, leave, that, I'll leave that there for a minute. But if I'm expecting to have a glorious cup of coffee in the morning, I wake up. I get out of bed, I walk to the kitchen, I take down the coffee grinder, because I'm a coffee snob, and I take down the beans, and I put it in the grinder, and I grind them up, because I want the freshest coffee possible. And then I take the beans, and I put them in my stovetop espresso maker, yes, and then I turn it on, and then I wait until the espresso is forced and percolates through the machine, and then I pour it into my favorite coffee cup, and I have my coffee. What did I just do? I went through the process, expecting something good, taking the necessary steps to cure my allergies. No, just to enjoy a great cup of coffee. This is what we're looking at the next two weeks. It's a mini-series, two weeks, entitled, practicals, if you're taking notes, the calendars in your seat backs on the flip side have a place for you to take notes, titled, The Practicals of Expecting. How many men are here? Can I get a witness, men? Men are practical, right? Let me fix it. This message is for you, and then for you to tell your wife later, or the lady sitting next to you. So two weeks. We're going to look at how we can be practically prepared to have good slash right expectations in God. And most preachers in preaching school, sorry, Tommy, I took his, took his preaching class about 20 years ago, but, but they teach you, hey, you only have like two or three or four points, okay? Because you don't, want to, you don't want to lose people. I've got 10 points for you this morning, and I want you to follow along. There's going to be a quiz afterwards. So... Take notes. The first seven points have to do with how you can practically expect and exercise expecting good things in God. Amen? How many points? Seven. The first seven points are going to be about how you can 
practically inspecting God. The last three points are what God wants you to do towards others in expecting good things from him. Are you following along or did I lose it already? Seven plus three equals Chapter 3, verse 13, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Good question. If you do good things, should people treat you poorly? Probably not, but we're going to talk about that verse a little more in a few verses when it comes up again. So let's go to point number one, if you're a note taker. Point number one, what does God want you to practically do in expecting good things from him? Verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Number one, point number one, do not be afraid. Do you know, practically speaking, that God does not want you to be afraid? You know, God never wants you to fear anything other than a reverence of what to expect from him. And that's not fear. That should still be good, an expectation from him. But there's no scenario, no time that God's pleased or wants you to be in a state of fear. In fact, if you're in a state of fear, you're not in a place of expecting good things from him based on who he is. Amen. You can't be. John chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, you, you know it well, probably says, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. Do you know the love that God has for you? We have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. You want to practically have good expectations, great, even glorious expectations in God, then get rid of the fear. Stop. Fear is from the enemy. Fear is contrary to the will of God for your life. And perfect love casts out fear. This is the picture that this paints for me. You have a little child. I don't like little children, but let's just say there's one here. I'm kidding. I got lots of kids. So you got a little kid, right? And the little kid is like three or four, maybe five, 12, 13. Anyway, so you got a little kid and the kid is scared. And here I am as an adult or their parent more specifically. Okay, one of my children. <laughs> what does the child do if it's scared? If it... I'm up here on stage. I bring one up. You know they're not going to like you. They don't want to be up here on stage in front of everybody. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? They're going to hide behind me. Why? Because they know that dad equals safety. They know that dad equals protection. They know that if somebody hurts them, dad would move heaven and earth to harm that person that hurt them. I'm just saying, right? Because... They know and believe the love that their father has for them. And they demonstrate that belief by seeking protection from me. So if that's true for them, then why would it not be true for us spiritually when it comes to our heavenly father's protection? 
And why do we try to figure things out ourselves instead of running to him? And as the psalm says, how beautiful the psalm's always seeking refuge in God under the shadow of his wings. Why wouldn't God meet us? So if you practically want to expect good things from God, you need to stop being fearful. You need to stop second-guessing. You need to stop questioning. You need to start trusting and saying that you believe something, that he loves you, putting it into practice. Number one. Number two. Do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled. Number two, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. You guys know that word sanctify? I like the word sanctify. It's a Bible word that doesn't get used frequently enough for me. It means to set apart, set aside, to designate something special. Do you have anything in your life that is sanctified in your heart? Do you have anything special? You know, as they say, something that holds a special place in your heart. A career, children, a spouse, a hobby. Something that's special for you. Do you know if God doesn't have a special place in your heart, you will have anxiety? (laughs) Any of those things that I named or listed, you won't have any kind of good expectation or outcome from them if God isn't the one that's in that place that those things are in. Because he should be, because you want to have a good expectation of him. But so often, listen, this is what happens, and here's why. So often, I put some kind of stock or trust in those things, in my children, in my wife, in my hobbies, in my, on the hockey game, <laughs> that I'm, I'm, because of the outcome, I'm disappointed. But in God, when my hope is in God, when my expectation is in him, I am never disappointed. And if I am disappointed in God, (laughs) shame on me. I don't have the big picture. It's become about me. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. This is a good practice to have. Just ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything in my life that's more important than you are? I know that that seems like elementary, But it's so pivotal in our, can I say, happiness? (laughs) In our existence, it's so pivotal that we sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. Give him that special place. Practically speaking, if you want to have good expectations in tomorrow, in good expectations in life, if he has a special place, if he's sanctified in your heart, then you are going to be satisfied. You're going to be blessed because you will exercise those expectations. Point number three, if you're following along. <clears throat> but sanctify the Lord your God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. This is a favorite verse by apologists. They like to quote this, but many times, 
they, they tend to cut off the back end there and, and, and they want to give a defense for their faith and what they believe and what the word of God says, but the meekness and fear part isn't so, you know. In gentleness, in humility, I don't know everything. Well, I do, they don't. <laughs> Be able and willing to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you. This verse pretty much is the foundation of our glorious expectation study through the book of 1 Peter. This is the verse that kind of inspired me to, to really dive into to hope and expectation in God. And, and there's a few reasons why, but, but some of the things I want to draw out of this verse is take note that, that there's a preparation to do an action as an expectation that something's going to come up. What's going to happen? What is going to happen? People are going to see in your life that you have hope. <laughs> is that good? They don't have hope. They just don't. But they see that you do. And they see that your life looks differently and you respond to things differently. So the word of God, knowing that you expect good things in God to receive good things of God, and, and your life is going to demonstrate that, people see that and say, wait a second, why do you have that hope? Where does that come from? And practically speaking, if we had glorious expectations and hope in God, we will be in a place today of preparing ourselves to give an answer for that. You know why? Here's why. Because the world needs hope, and the world doesn't have it. The world needs and wants to expect good things. That every time I, I upload, load, whatever, the, the interwebs news sites, there's not very much uh, to look forward to. There's not much good. There's not much expectation. But for us, we should so be as identifiers of Jesus Christ. Christians, we should be so be, uh, that didn't make sense. We should so be preparing ourselves to give somebody an answer uh, of, of why we have this glorious hope. Now, you might ask me, nobody's ever said that to me before, and, and nobody's asked me why I have this hope. Well, maybe you need to practice it more. Maybe you need to practically make your life so look or press into God to the degree that your life looks hopeful because theirs isn't. And I'm not talking about works or making you do things. I'm talking about intentionally, practically seeking God so that you can possess that hope and be prepared to give an answer to people who ask you why you have that hope that's within you. Hope is evident be prepared to share with others why you have a supernatural hope. And that's what I like about the Bible. The, the Bible doesn't just talk about hope, like passively hoping for things. It's an it's a intentional, it's a supernatural hope above and beyond. What's a practical way to do that? I, I have a thought. What's a practical way to do that? Make a list. I'm, you know, I'm a dude. Lists help me a lot. Make a list. What are the reasons that you have hope? Would you be 
adhering to or submitting to the Scripture by making a list? Yeah, why? Because you're preparing to give an answer, right? Does that make sense? You're preparing to give an answer of uh, the reason that the hope that's within you. Number four, note takers, thank you very much. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Having a good conscience is number four. Have a good conscience. In Acts chapter 24, verse 15, Paul said, I have hope in God. I have expectation in God? Yes. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. That's a powerful verse. He says, I hope in God. And my hope in God understands, knows that I'm going to partake in the resurrection of the dead. I'm going to live forever. So my, my actions and my words now have eternal worth and value. Therefore, I want to have a clear conscience about the things that I say to you between men and also between God. Think about how we would act if we filtered the things that we did and said through that Filter. <laughs> the thi- oh, that's too scary. I don't want to do that. I don't want to think about the, the things that I do and say right now have an eternal sig- significance because of my hope and expectation in God. That's too much. Doing the right thing to shame to the shame of those who are against you, I think is always good. You know, it's kind of like, I mean, I know it's not a, a good word, but it's kind of like spy, you know, heaping burning coals on, 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 on the head. You knowing that by doing what's right is going to prove to others what you say is what you truly believe. And that, my friends, is valuable for us. having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Verse, uh, number 5, verse 17. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than to suffer for doing evil. The reality is that we're all going to suffer. Amen? We are going to go through seasons of suffering. It's going to get difficult from time to time. It's not a surprise. It's what we're kind of expecting. But is it better to suffer for doing what's right or to suffer for doing what's wrong? It's always better to suffer for doing what's right. To suffer for doing what's wrong is a, is a discipline, a punishment. To suffer for doing what's right is standing up for righteousness. Who God is, what we say we believe. 
which also ends up being very practical. For it's better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. This is the verse that links back to the first verse that we read. And then the next few verses, 18 to the end of the chapter, are qualifiers of the statements that we've already gone through. And then we'll jump into the last couple points. But the qualifier is for or because of these things, Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth from the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Who's the ultimate example for us? Sunday school answer, you know, Jesus, Jesus. And, and, oh, you should be okay even if people wrong you and you suffer through wrongdoing. It's okay. It's better to suffer for doing what's good than suffer from doing what's evil and, and consider Jesus. Think about, that was weird. Think about Jesus and what he did. He suffered once for sins and the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. And I love that that's my favorite part of the gospel. Sometimes it can be kind of unclear, but you know what the most glorious truth of the gospel is? Jesus Christ died for my sins so that I can know who my creator is. Like not know in principle or concept, but actually have a relationship with the God that created me. That is too much to try to express, still blows my mind. But Jesus didn't even suffer for his own sins, which would be suffering for bad, right? It's better to suffer for good than to suffer for bad. Jesus, perfect, suffered for good so that you and I could be reconciled to God and have these glorious expectations in him. In him, in God, us, we're nobody, we're losers, we're people that fall short every day. But God says, I so loved you that I paid the price so that you could have glorious expectations in me, who I am. But by who he also went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. Now, we're not going to dig into this theologically, but the testimony of God and the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ was proclaimed to everybody, past, present, and future. In fact, in the future, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Could you imagine 
everybody is going to know the reason that they're there in the presence of God. It's because of the lamb that was slain. It's because of Jesus. Baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Christ. Baptism symbolizes that dying of the old man, that being buried into a watery grave and being raised to newness of life. It's not that you're washing yourself like, I need to get baptized again because I got dirty. (laughs) No, it's, it's to show of that change that's happening inside. And your conscience should be different as well through that, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Do you know that the, the, the Lord, Jesus Christ, who, who bled, died, was buried, and rose again from the grave, is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding for you? You don't have to do it for yourself. He's doing it for you. You know, Jesus is like, hey, Dad, been there, done that. That's a tough position to be in. You know, Tim, he's messing up again. But, you know, I know how he feels because I was also tempted in all ways, you know. Yet I was without sin, but, you know, he he needs a little extra help, which is true for me. So the expectation is, am I saying that word too much? I love it. I wish I could say it more. The expectation is that Jesus is for me in heaven and that his intercession on my behalf is only always going to produce good things in my life. And God's intentions towards me is only and always going to produce good things in my life. And this isn't like uh, hypothesis. This isn't maybe. It's not empty. It's sure. And the way that I live my life should be in such a way that I believe these things because he loved me. And people are going to say, why are you so different? Why do you have this hope? What's wrong with you? (laughs) Jesus is what's wrong with me. (laughs) Changed my life. 100%. I am not who I am today apart from him. Chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, here's number 6, note takers. Point number 6. You guys are rock stars. Four points to go. Arm yourselves also with the same mind. How can you practically be prepared to have good expectations in God? Arm your brain. I like that. Arm yourself in your mind with the same understanding that Jesus had. That yes, he was going to suffer. No, he didn't want to go through it. If there's any other way, Father, allow this cup to pass from me. But not my will be done, your will be done. Through the process of suffering, there was going to be a glorious outcome. You can tell yourself that practically. If I can tell myself that practically, you can tell yourself that practically. Tim, you're suffering for a little while. Suck it up, buttercup. It's going to be fine. Oh, wait, no, no. It's not going to be fine, Tim. It's going to be glorious. You have nothing but good things to expect from God through this trial. Oh, man. 
now I can rejoice always in all things, in all trials, in all tribulation? You better believe it because I have good expectations. And my, ar- my mind is armed with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. This is the great problem that you and I struggle with on a daily basis. The flesh versus the spirit. Every day when I wake up, I pray, God, please don't let me walk in the flesh to fulfill its lusts. I want your will to be done in my life. And because I've prayed that prayer for years, I am incredibly, undeniably difficult to explain, blessed. I'm just blessed. And I continue to expect good things from him. But he who suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, and he no longer live in the rest, should live in the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Suffering in the flesh brings life in the spirit, okay? You guys want life? Yes. Suffering in the flesh brings life in the spirit, and we are able to live in the fullness of God's will when we are crucifying the flesh and walking in God's goodness that he has for us. Romans chapter 8, verses 11 through 13 says, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you... That's interesting, huh? If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Say with me, you will die. According to the flesh? Yeah. According to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Can we say you will live? You will live. Who doesn't want to live? Who doesn't want to be blessed in life? Not death seekers, masochists. We want to live. I want to win. Winning. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when, the, when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. Do people think that you're weird because you're not doing the... Uh, atrocious things that they're doing. Man, I went to my first Knights game. You know, I like the Knights a lot. Last night was unfortunate. But I like the Knights a lot, and somebody in our congregation blessed my socks off with giving us two tickets to go watch a Knights game. So we went and watched the Knights game, and we're sitting in like one of the best spots in the arena, and we... uh, we, uh, there's this, these, these people in front of us, probably six or seven people or whatever, and we could tell through the night that it was getting progressively worse. And there was this one lady in particular who, toward the end of the game, she couldn't stand up um, 
anymore. She was so drunk that it looked like she was, she almost fell down the stairs when they went up to go get more drinks. And I'm like, they're going to get more drinks. They haven't even watched the game. What are these people doing? And the world thinks that that's normal. You know, oh yeah, you know, let's get smashed in public and so that everybody can see us. It's not normal. It's not healthy. It's selfish. And, and it's the kind of things that we used to do. He says, you don't do that anymore. You don't give over to the lusts of your flesh for personal gratification. You don't do that. And people are going to think you're weird because you don't, but it doesn't matter. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Everybody's going to be held to the same standard no matter what point in time you existed in that linear time-space continuum, no matter what point from the beginning to the end that you existed, everybody's going to be held to the same standard. Verse 7, but the end of all things is at hand, and our last point, number 7, for the, for the personal application, therefore be serious and watchful in prayer. Now, I don't think that we really allow that verse to sink in and have as much meaning as it does. That's a powerful, profound verse. Practically speaking, brothers and sisters, how can you have good, great, glorious expectations in God for today and tomorrow? How can you? Be watchful. Pay attention be serious in your prayers. And that, that, that says something. How much do you pray? How serious are you? You know how I have a pet peeve that I'll share with you. And if, if this ever happens where we're together, it's, it's really kind of, I'm over-exaggerating for your sake, but it does bother me when we pray for food and people ask God to bless this food to our bodies. Help it to nourish us. And I'm like, you're eating a four-by-four. You're eating a double-double with extra cheese. The grease is dripping down your beard. And you're asking... (laughs) And you're asking God to bless... He's not going to bless it. You're cursing yourself. And you got a milkshake for afterwards. You just consume like 2,500 calories and you qualified it by saying, God bless this food. Well, all right, since you asked me to, here you go. A little less fat for you. Oh, I don't know if that's very serious or intentional. I say, God, thank you for the glory of the double-double. Thank you for blessing this. Thank you for for giving this to us and, and please... Mitigate the consequences to whatever degree you see necessary. (laughs) At least I'm watchful. At least I'm serious. Do any of you have, no no need to raise your hands, but do any of you have a prayer journal? What's a prayer journal? A prayer journal is like a journal, but you just write your prayers in it. And, And what you do is you write out these prayers and then you pray over them and, and then you see in the future how God answers those prayers, which is pretty incredible. I would submit to you, before I started prayer journaling, 
I really didn't have the number of prayers that God answered that I prayed to him. But when I look back at my prayer journal and I have these things listed out, I'm like, if I didn't write this down, I would have forgot that I prayed about it, which is terrible. It, was, it wasn't that big of a deal to me if I would forget that I prayed about it. But then I look at it and I say, oh man, I forgot about that season. And I, and I remember there being there now. And I remember going through that. And I remember how God answered my prayers because I'm serious about it. I'm intentional about it because I have good expectations in God to answer those prayers. You would see, you would see how many prayers you forgot you prayed if we were more intentional about writing our prayers down. I know somebody who prayed for their husband, husband to be saved for 25 years. And, and, and he just, you know, was bound up in, in, in religious institution. And then the, the prayers of the faithful availed much in, after 25 years of praying for him, his salvation. And when, I, and when I, I knew him before and after, and when I talked to him the first couple times after, he was like a completely different person. And maybe God takes a little more time to answer some prayers than the other. But you know what? That person could look in their prayer journal and count every single time they prayed for him and, and give an account to God for it because it was something done in, in seriousness. It was something done watchfully. I like that it says watchful. What do you think that word uh, is connected to or means? Watchfulness in prayer. Spoiler alert. It's one of my favorite words. Expectant. If I'm watching for something, I'm expecting it to happen, right? So if you're serious and watchful, you're expectant in your prayers, then it's something that you're communicating to God that you know you're going to receive. Isn't that beautiful? That's beautiful! Expectant, watching, purposeful, practical tool for us to exercise in knowing that God is going to do mighty things, great things on our behalf. We don't even deserve it. You guys are losers. I'm, I'm speaking for myself. You don't deserve it. God is so good, and we're going to get to that. That concludes our seven points of how you can practically, personally have great expectations in God. Now we're going to look at the last three, very simple, of in light of those seven things, how you should respond to God in, in, towards other people around you. Okay? Verse 8. And above all things, with these things in mind, above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. I so love that verse, and every time I think about that verse, I think of, of, of me, that God so smothered me with his love that, that um, yeah, he, he saved me, and, and, and it's all about me, you know, like, I'm so great, Love covered a multitude of sins. But, but the reality is, this verse is talking about for you and for me, it, it's talking about how we should be treating each other, one another. 
And it's not just love, is it? It's not just love, is it? Just love? It's fervent love. Fervent love. I make jokes about not liking people, right? Because it's fun and everybody agrees that it's fun to make fun of people that, you know, whatever. Anyway, so um, I like to make fun of people, but the reality is um, that I really love people. It's, it's my calling. Uh, my sister uh, is finishing college, Point Loma. She's graduating next month, and she sent me a text a couple of days ago and said, hey, could you fill out this questionnaire? I'm supposed to ask somebody wholly these questions. And I'm like, oh, great, you know. And, and the first question is, what causes or inspires you to care for others. And I thought, and I had to think about it. You know, I'm like, man, I don't, sometimes I feel like it just comes so naturally. And, and I said, you know, I believe that it's something that God gifted me with, but I'm still in the flesh, a dude in the flesh sometimes. And it's something that I have to also exercise, you know? So loving people can be difficult, especially in our context, you know. Vegas is getting better, but I was born here. People are miserable. Neighbors don't even talk to each other. So it's something that's, that has to be intentional, and, and it's, a, it's a covering or a loving people or others in spite of their sin. I have this one guy that I really can't stand. I'm sorry, just to be honest with you. really struggle with this individual who did me dirty, like did me wrong for no reason, absolutely no reason, and he wouldn't even be able to give you a reason if you asked him, but did me really wrong, and it really kind of upset me for a long time, still working through it with the Lord, you know, I mean, he's fine, whatever, but I'm a real person, just like you guys are, and this person did me super dirty, and I still like, you know, what? so whatever. So this guy, if he called me today, and he was like, hey, Tim, sorry about what happened. I really need your help. Can you come over right now? I'd be like, I'm on my way. Because love covers a multitude of sin. I, I look forward to expect, expectantly the restoration of that relationship. Even though it's difficult, I sincerely look forward to Now, that's not on my terms. That's on his terms. That's on him. So it is what it is. But that's the way that God wants us to exercise fervent love in our lives. It's a verb. There's an action that needs to be connected with what we say we believe. And I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. I told you it's inherently a gift from God. Because in the flesh, I can't stand people. But in the spirit, everything changes. Verse 9, number 2, fervently love one another. Number 2, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. <laughs> it's one thing to uh, be hospitable. It's another thing to be hospitable without grump grumbling. I don't like having to do all of what is necessary to prepare to have somebody come over to my house, but, um, you know, I can do it with the right intention. This word for um, hospitable means to entertain a stranger or to care for somebody that you don't know. Now we've gone into the realm of, of selfless even, right? Because if I'm not going to benefit from this relationship being hospitable to you, I don't know you, I'm probably never going to see you again, then why would I do it? Because I only do things that benefit me, obviously. No, not according to the gospel, 
not according to the grace of God, not according to, above all, having fervent love for everybody else. He says, love each other passionately. Care for people that you don't even know. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Number three, serve others. Love everybody, even those you don't know, and serve each other. This is the, this is the heart of the gospel. The Son of God did not come to be served, but to serve. So what would we be required to do? Nothing less than serving each other, taking care of each other. Each one has received a gift, minister. That word for minister uh, is serve it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You know, I started a life journey as a Christian with a very vague, undefined, misunderstood view of what God's grace was or what it looked like. And one of the things that God has done through my life is he has He has revealed his multifaceted manifold grace to me. Like it's mind-blowing. Like it's not just grace. You know, the Bible defines grace, you know, unmerited favor. It's not just, there's some grace. It's grace upon grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. That's what I've experienced. The manifold grace of God. My mom, God bless her, she's with Jesus now, died at 56 years old. And as we were going through the process, I loved my mom so so much, so, so much. And as we were going through the process, it was very difficult. But I experienced the next level measure of grace for me in my life. And I cannot even begin to try to express to you. And yes, you know, sometimes pastors don't bring up personal stuff. I love talking about personal stuff in my life. You know why? Because it wasn't for the personal way that God touched me. I wouldn't have a testimony. There wouldn't be anything to talk about. And people, I had this one lady about a week or so, a week and a half after my mom went to be with the Lord. She said, how are you doing so well? Be prepared to give a reason to everyone for the hope that is within you, right? And how are you doing so well? And, and this is something that God so ingrained in me through that season. I said, I am experiencing the grace of God on a level that I have never experienced before. So it's not even to my credit at all. I'm experiencing a level of grace that is blowing my mind so that I can support and be there for other people around me right now. And to be able to identify that and say, God, for me to go through suffering is terrible, but through the suffering, having an expectation of receiving the next level of your grace for me is mind-blowing. I can't, I can't put it into words. But that's what God has for us. He says, I want you to have good expectations no matter what you're going through. And like we said before, these people that he's writing to, Peter, were going through it. Like you haven't gone through it. They were going through it. Kicked out of homes, murdered, all kinds of things. And these are the things he's writing to them. Love fervently. Be hospitable to people care for one another, serve each other. 
If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Uh, Let's run through them real quick for the sake of memory. Number one, do not be afraid. Throw these up there on the projector. Number one, do not be afraid. Number two, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Number three, be ready to give a reason. And if you don't have a reason, start looking for one. And if this didn't help you, you're in big trouble. Number four, have a good conscience. Number five, it's better to suffer for good than for bad. That's always going to lighten your day up, right? Like, at least I'm not going, you know, to to suffer something because I did something bad. Number six, arm yourself with the same mindset as Jesus. Number seven, be serious and watchful, expectant in your prayers. And then for others, love fervently, be hospitable, and serve one another. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your manifold grace that we get to experience today in spite of our allergies and the nights losing last night, God, in spite of life and all the difficult things that happen, you are so good to us. And there's no way, there's no reason whatsoever that we can't in confidence before you today expect anything but good things from you tomorrow. Not worrying about tomorrow, confident in you and thankful for this life that you called us to. In Jesus' name we pray. 